So good to see you guys this morning. I'm Jim Wall, and I'm the newest member of the Bridge staff. Is that cool or what? I'm so incredibly honored to be a part of this team and be a part of this church. Some of you know, Kim and I have been in ministry for 45 years and, uh, and retired from pastoring uh, just a couple of years ago, moved back to Goldsboro, and uh, of course, be, uh, the bridge became our home church. Pastor Farrell, I've been talking for some time now about the discipleship processes that are on his heart, leadership development, and so he's asked me to come join the team and help begin to develop those things, and I'm excited to be a part of that. And so thank you. And when I ask you to volunteer to help me do stuff, say yes. Okay? <laughs> we're in a series we're calling Sex God's Way. Pastor Farrell has done a great job of laying the groundwork for us by establishing a couple of really important things in this series. First of all, he's made it pretty clear that men and women are different. Can I get an amen in the house? Different in so many ways. One of the ones, of course, in talking about this subject is that women are, Pastor Farrell says, like toaster ovens and men are like microwaves. Can I get an amen on that one? That's true. I heard it described this way. Women, when it comes to sex drive, you know, somewhere at about puberty, they start, uh, some interest begins to develop, and gradually over a lifetime, they kind of go on this bell curve that peaks somewhere in their 30s and, and then begins to wane a little bit and then drifts off toward the end of life. Men, on the other hand, at puberty start here, and they stay pretty much here until it stops and you plan the funeral, and that's just the way it works. <laughs> so we've been talking a little bit about the difference between men and women. Pastor Farrell, of course, addressed the men on the first weekend and the women on the second weekend. If you missed those messages, there's an email address somewhere. It's going to come up on the screen. Here we go, info at bridgechurch.cc. You can get those manuscripts. You can get this one today. Uh, if you're interested in that, take advantage of that opportunity. And if you choose to tweet something or Facebook something, use that hashtag. It kind of helps us all connect and keep all of these quotes together as we continue the journey. The second thing that Pastor Farrell has told us is that sex was God's idea, but we live in a culture that has, has perverted God's original plan so dramatically that instead of it being this joyful, wonderful experience between uh, a husband and wife, it's become the source of an incredible amount of pain and difficulty and broken relationships and scars uh, on people's lives. That's become the reality. And so what we're trying to do in this series, Pastor Scott and Sherry will be talking specifically about singles uh, next weekend. What we're trying to do is bring it back to what was God's original intention? What was God's original idea? So that you can get back to enjoying what God intended all along. When you think about this subject and the culture, there's a word that comes to my mind that perhaps above all others has been abused and perverted more than any other, and it's the word intimacy. If you talk to somebody at work or at school and, and, and they make the statement, we've been intimate, what do they mean? They mean we had sex. If they say we are in an intimate relationship, what do they mean? It means that they're having sex. But every married person in this room knows that true intimacy goes far deeper than a physical relationship. Can I get an amen on that? I heard some men's voices in there. I'm so proud of you guys. 
It goes far deeper than that. In fact, married couples will tell you not only does it go deeper, but they will tell you that there is a journey from standing at the altar where, the, uh, where you think you've got intimacy to the journey of having the true kind of intimacy that we all long for. Kim and I just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary this past Monday night. Yes. This is me celebrating because she stayed all these years, but I drug her all over the planet. But, uh, but we've discovered that, that it probably comes in three specific kinds of, of stages. Let me describe them for you, see if you relate, okay? Stage one in this journey to intimacy is what I call the infatuation stage, and that's where you, you know, you fell in love. <sighs> like you're walking along, and somebody left the manhole cover off, and you fell in love. <clears throat> you know, oh, I'm in love. And it's just amazing. Some people say uh, lo- love is blind. I say love is stupid. It's just... <laughs> We just go brain dead. Yeah, you, come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You got somebody at work who's normally studious and hardworking, and suddenly he comes to work and he's just kind of goofy, and somebody says, what's wrong with Joe? Oh, he's in love, right? It just means our brains just kind of go fuzzy somehow. There's this idealistic view of the person that we're in love with. There's this intensity of attention and, and focus, and, and there's some ignorance about who the person really is. Uh, it's pretty incredible. I've done a handful of weddings now from, uh, for people that, uh, that met on eHarmony or one of those kind of sites, and I've got no problem with that. But, but here's, the, here's the one problem that has to be addressed is they think because of some scientist algorithm, they are just alike. And every married person in the room knows that there ain't no two people just alike. In fact, if you take an imperfect person and attach them to another imperfect person, do you get perfection? No, you get two imperfect people trying to make along in life. And so there becomes this kind of, but there's that season of, of indulgence and acceptance and it'll be okay. And, and there's actually, scientists have actually discovered that there's a chemical release that takes place during this period. I can't pronounce the word. I call them phenethylmermans. I don't know what the, what the real pronunciation is. But there's this chemical release that takes place that lasts for 18 to 24 months. And when you first fall in love, there's this, you know, endorphin and release thing that happens. Many times couples have a baby within that 18 to 24 months and they get a whole new flush of phenethylmermans and, you know, things are kind of good for a while and, and then 18, 24 months later they have another one and they get another flush. But eventually they can't keep having babies. Eventually they move into the next stage. And the next stage is the irritation stage. <laughs> That's the stage where all of that idealism becomes realism. And you begin to discover that intimacy is going to have to, you're going to have to do some work to be intimate. It's worth making, but nevertheless, you're going to have to do some. And so instead of total agreement, now your disagreements begin to order the day. And, and there's a defensiveness uh, that kicks in that, that we all, everybody who's been married for any length of time understands. It, it's just we get into this. We can be asked simply things like, like uh, did, you, did you sleep last night? What, what do you mean? What, what do you think I did last night? I mean, there's a defensiveness that kicks in. And before you know, we're fighting about stuff. We don't even know why we're fighting. What, what was the fight about? I don't know. 
The fight was about the way we were fighting. How dare you speak to me that way? You're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm just making a point. I mean, before you know, you don't even know what's going on. There's just this antagonism that begins to develop, and so the ideal becomes the real, and disappointment sets in, and discouragement sets in, and the tragic reality of our times is we live in the age of disposable relationships, so we get into this stage and we bail. Tragic reality is that because we want to be married, there's something in us that wants to be married, we try again and we get back into infatuation stage only to go back into irritation stage, realizing that if we're really going to have intimacy, we're going to have to figure out how to work through this stage somehow. But the reality is that stage is going to come. Like the guy who says, I feel cheated. I thought I was marrying Scarlett Johansson and I got Lindsay Lohan. I don't know how that happened, but... (laughs) Or the girl that said, uh, I I thought I was marrying Bradley Cooper, and and I got Sheldon Cooper. I don't know. (laughs) This isn't what I thought I was signing up for. A little nervous laughter in that one out there. I don't know. But if you stick it out and you get through the junk, you get to go to the third level, which is the intimacy stage, and that's where there's understanding. Now I'm beginning to understand why she does what she does or why she says what she says. I'm beginning to understand where she's coming from and and feeling this way. I'm beginning to understand more about my husband. Trust begins to develop out of that, a sense of security. You stuck with me when I was being a jerk. There's a sense of security that begins to form. Now, every married person in the room knows that it's not a straight line from infatuation to intimacy. It is, in fact, probably a little bit more like this. Can I get an amen? It's three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, four steps back. I mean, that's just the way it is. But hear me, guys. The kind of intimacy that you signed up for when you stood at the altar is so much deeper than we took our clothes off. It involves intellectual intimacy. It involves emotional intimacy. It involves spiritual intimacy. And yes, I didn't say sex was a bad thing. I said it was God's idea, and it is amazing in His world. It includes physical intimacy as well. But it is, but the physical becomes the culmination of all the other facets of intimacy coming together. So God bless you. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. Hope, you, hope it works out for you. Don't, you. don't you hate it when preachers tell you what you ought to be doing, but they don't tell you how to do it? That's one of my pet peeves. You ought to be a better father. Okay, but how? You ought to be a better husband. Okay, cool. How? You ought to be, okay, give me some hows in here. Well, that's what I want us to spend our time on this morning. I've just kind of laid the groundwork for this journey to intimacy. I want to tell you how you can have intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and ultimately physical intimacy. I want to tell you what the Bible says because sex God's way includes all aspects of that intimacy. So let's lean in to the Scriptures. Pastor Farrell brought up Song of Solomon in the first message. Let's go back to it. One of the key passages for me is the imagery that comes out of chapter 2, verse 6. This is, of course, Solomon and his bride, the husband and his wife, deeply in love. This particular passage is the bride describing their, a moment in their relationship, and it goes like this. His left hand is under my head. Get that imagery. 
and his right hand doth embrace me. Do you see that? Do you get a picture from that? Here's what I get, is I, I, I see the bride laying back. I see the husband with his hand behind her head, holding her up and supporting her. And because they're in this warm position embrace, he's able to bring in the right hand and give her this wonderful loving caress. Now, hear me, guys. We all love that moment. That's, that's the moment when the hair stands up on the back of your neck. That's the moment when the chills run down your spine. That's the moment that we've been looking for. That's the moment we've been talking about. And God wants you to have those moments in your marital relationship. But you can't have. You can't have. Do I need to say that one more time? You can't have this without this. Now, you don't see this. If it's not there, you feel it. Right? But you got to have this to be in position for this. So lean in and let's talk for just a few minutes about how we get this because the left hand is the intellectual intimacy, it's the emotional intimacy, it's the spiritual intimacy that leads to the physical intimacy that so many people talk about everywhere you turn these days. You ready to get into it? Number one, intellectual intimacy requires accepting one another. Say it with me, accepting one another. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, this is huge. It may seem real simple, but this is huge because in most cases, opposites attract. People marry their opposite. Can I get an amen from the married people in the room? Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? I need to explain something about myself. I'm one of those preachers that if I don't get feedback, I assume you didn't get it. So I explain it some more, and we will not beat the Baptist to the restaurant if I have to keep explaining it, okay? <laughs> got it? Oh, two people got it, okay. <laughs> We have to accept each other, but the problem is that we are the opposites. Kim and I are as opposite as you can be. Kim is a morning person. I'm a night person. Kim is detailed. I'm a big picture guy. Kim is a, is a highly organized person. I'm a, a place for everything and everything in your face kind of person. You know, I'm a, She's a let's make a plan and work our plan, and I'm a let's define the goal at the end and work it out as we go. I mean, you can't get any more opposite than I and she, Kim and I, are. The problem is that, that opposites initially are attractive because you see something in that other person that you know is lacking in you, but eventually we find ourselves saying stuff like, if you were a little more like we, we'd get along better, right? Jack and Carol Mayhall wrote a book some time ago, but it's still a good classic volume that's entitled Opposites Attract Slash Attack. Now, here's what I used to say over the years. I used to say that because Kim and I have worked at, at having this intellectual intimacy and learning more about each other, that, uh, that over the years she's become more spontaneous and I've become more detail-oriented. I used to say that she's become more uh, kind of big picture and I've become more detail-oriented, you know, kind of focus on a plan. And, and, and there's a problem with that. Um, it just isn't true. It just, it just, it just ain't true. She's still detailed and I'm still big picture. And it just isn't true. That's just not the way it works in our lives. So here's what I've learned. Lean in, get this. 
What I've learned is if you want to move from the unrealism of the infatuation stage past the disenchantment of the irritation stage to the mature love of the intimacy stage, you can't just accept your spouse as different from you. You have to accept that God gave you those differences to complete you. There are things in my life that I would not be able to accomplish that God purposed that I accomplished if Kim were not in my life. There are things that God purposed for her life that she would not be able to accomplish if I were not in her life. So we don't just accept that we are different. We embrace that we are different, and by doing that, we've taken huge strides toward genuine intellectual intimacy. The Amplified Bible paraphrases it this way, therefore, continue to accept and welcome. You see the difference? Accept is not just, yeah, 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 accept it. Welcome those differences. Welcome one another just as Christ accepted and welcomed us. And why do we do that? to the glory of our great God. Let, let me see if I can illustrate this and, and, and paint a picture for you how this works. I, uh, I enjoy working with wood. I always have. I found out a few years ago that it's been in my family's blood for generations, and I didn't realize that, but, but nevertheless, it's just part of my family's makeup. The first, first uh, piece of furniture that I ever built and gave to Kim as a gift was when we were dating, and it was a, it was a bedside table, and I gave it to her right just shortly before the wedding, and uh, she saw it and said, uh, well, thank you so much, boy. That, it's a real labor of love. Thank you so much for giving me that, and we brought it in, and we put it in our, in our house and, and uh, beside our bed, and somehow I noticed a few weeks after that uh, it wasn't in our bedroom anymore. It moved to the guest room, and I asked her why, and she said, well, it just, it fit the decor in the guest room better than it did ours. It was okay, that's fine. And uh, sometime later, uh, she said, you know, I'm looking for a place for that table because it doesn't really fit the decor in here either. And I said, uh, what you're telling me, Kim, is that it's ugly. And uh, she said, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I said, no, I know. It is ugly. It is hideous. Can we burn it, please? I mean, I gave it to you. I didn't want to presume to do that. She said, yes, let's burn it. And we took it out in the front yard and burned the thing. And we celebrated because it was ugly. All right? Second piece of furniture I built was after we were married, and I, and I built this coffee table thing, and I was really proud of it, put more effort into it, and, and spent more time on it. I was really proud of it, and I brought her out to look at it, and when she got out there to look at it, she said, I'm thinking she's going to say, wow, I am married to an amazing man. What she said was, you're not finished with it, are you? <laughs> well, I thought it was. Uh, I guess not which made me mad because we were in the irritation stage of this whole thing, you know, and we ended up with this big argument. And, and, uh, it, but here, fast forward to this past year. 
We sold our house in Virginia, bought a place here in North Carolina. And one of the projects we had to finish in the house of Virginia was a, was a, a fireplace mantle. We had put in a fireplace, but I never got around to building the mantle. Now we're selling the house. I have to build it. And so here I am putting this mantle together. But here's what I did differently because I've learned over the years to celebrate, to, to welcome our differences. And so I did a one piece of this, the first stage of it. I said, Kim, would you come look at this and tell me what you see? She saw some details that I didn't even see, and I worked on it. Second stage, Kim, would you come back out and look at it again and tell me what you see? Four or five times during the process of building that fireplace mantle, I got her out there to look at it, and every time she saw details that just I didn't even see them. Because I have a disease. It's not my fault. It's a syndrome. I'm serious. It's called MPB, and, uh, and psychologists have proven that it's a fact. In fact, I suspect, ladies, that some of your husbands might have MPB too. Uh, it's, uh, that stands for male pattern blindness. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how it works, and you tell me if your husband's got it, okay? You're, you're sitting together at the, kid, at the dining room table, and you say, would you go get the butter? And he says, okay, sure. And he goes to the refrigerator, he opens the door, and he says, where is it? And you say, it's in the door. He says, I'm looking in the door, I don't see it. And so you say, well, it's on the top shelf of the door. And he says, I'm looking on the top shelf of the door. I don't see it. And you say, it's on the right-hand side of the top shelf of the door. And he says, I'm looking at the right-hand side of the top shelf of the door. I don't see it. And so you get up and you walk over and you reach over his shoulder and there it is. And you pick it up and you put it in his face and you say, there it is. And he said, oh, I didn't know it looked like that. MPB. We can't help it. We have male pattern blindness. We can't help it. But here's what I've come to understand. When I ask Kim to come and bring her gifts to the project I'm working on, my projects get better. By the same token, Kim is a, is a great leader in her own right, uh, a very directive kind of leader. She's led a lot of very large organizations over the years, and so uh, she's a great leader. But Kim tends to be more direct or even blunt than she means to be sometimes. And so over the years, she's come to me and said, Jim, I need to have this conversation with somebody, and I don't want to be too hard. Can you help me think how to say this diplomatically? And yet still get the point across. Why? Because she knows my primary gifting is communication. So what have we done? We have learned not only to accept that we are different, we are accepting and welcoming that we are different. And the result is we have developed an intellectual intimacy that helps us to move toward the overall intimacy we long for. Got it? Does that make sense? You ready for emotional intimacy? Let's look at the next one. Emotional intimacy requires affirming one another. It requires affirming one another. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Now we're not just talking about accepting and welcoming. Now we're talking about celebrating each other, celebrating our differences. And, that, and that's true. Affirmation is true uh, in every kind of relationship, but it's particularly true in marriage. And the Bible actually tells us that there's a specific kind of affirmation that we need from each other in the marital relationship. The Apostle Paul defines it pretty clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Let's look at this one together, okay? He's, he's writing to the husbands at this point, and he says, husbands, each one of you must, what does it say? Love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must 
What are the key words? Love and respect. Now, let's just understand that we both need love from each other. We both need respect from each other. We both need all of that stuff from each other. But at the the deepest emotional level of our lives, what wives need most is love, and what husbands need most is respect. Now, understand what love means. Love is giving somebody something they need, whether they deserve it or not. And husbands, do you know what your wife needs from you? Tons of studies out there to establish, you know what she needs from you? She needs security and support. That's what she needs. And so, if you want to demonstrate that you love her, then you help her feel more secure and you help her to feel supported. Kim and I travel a lot. We're the directors of the Acts 2 Network, and that puts us traveling in many places around the country and, and around the world. And, uh, and so I've developed a routine many years ago because I understand this is what Kim needs from me. We go into a new hotel room, and my first question is, what side of the bed do you want me to sleep on? Why do I ask that? Because if a bad guy comes in, I want him to have to go through me to get to her. What did I do? I just sent her a message that I am your security. We walk down the sidewalk together. I walk on the side where the cars are coming because if a car happens to jump the curb, they're going to hit me first. What am I saying? I'm saying I am your security. When it comes to support, we men believe somehow that that means a paycheck, but the reality is a lot of our wives earn more money than we do these days. I hope it's more than that. We're in trouble, right? What does support mean? It means that we're helping her to accomplish whatever she feels responsible for. Kim says, I'm the sexiest I ever am when I'm vacuuming the floor. I don't get that. What has that got to do with sex? I don't know. But somehow she feels loved when she comes home and finds the floor vacuumed. Got it? Why am I doing that? Because I love to vacuum? Not so much. But I love my wife and I want to have emotional intimacy with her. And so I want to communicate to love, love to her on a deeply emotional kind of level. How about husbands and the respect thing? Ladies, hear me. Men get their self-esteem from what the most important woman in their life says about them. When they're young, that might be their mother or grandmother or an, or an aunt or something like that. But when they marry, if you want to be the most important woman in his life, you have to affirm him with respect. And you, you, you can't wait till he takes the trash out with me without being told to start, okay? You find ways to affirm him and watch him live up to those affirmations. After the service today, because I know you guys, I know you well enough to know that you're an incredibly gracious congregation. I'm going to run into some of you after the service, and you're going to give me compliments, and you're going to say great message. You're going to say cool things, and I'm going to love every one of those conversations. But let me tell you right now, whether you do it or not, if we get in the car after the service and Kim says, you knocked it out of the park today, I'm ready to take on the world. I'm ready to turn on the TV sets and let's just broadcast to the world now because the most important woman in my life told me she loves to hear me do what I feel called to do. Does it make sense? So ladies, if you want to be the most important woman in his life, guess what your job is? Respect him. 
and let him know that you do. That stands in stark contrast to the guy who came to see me one day, and he, he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you about my wife. And he started in talking about how much he didn't like his wife. They'd been married seven years, and she was nothing like she was when they first got married, and she didn't accomplish anything, and he thought she was a take-charge kind of person, and it turns out she wasn't, and she was depressed all the time and never accomplished anything. And I realized very early on in the conversation, he wasn't asking for help. He was asking for permission to leave her. I guess he didn't know me very well. I don't know why he came to me for that, but anyway, here we are sitting and I'm listening to him, and I let him unpack it. I just let him pour it all out until his suitcase was empty, and he had room for my message, and here's my message to him. I said, sir, answer me this. Have you honored your vows to love and cherish her these seven years? And he said, eh, probably not like I should. I said, then, sir, you don't have a clue who your wife would be if you had, go home and start there, and let's see who she is seven years from now, and we'll talk again. You see, there's something that happens on a deeply emotional level that brings us closer and closer to one another when we realize that at that emotional level, we need love, we need respect from each other, and when our marital partner's the one that gives it, it deepens our relationship with them and raises our own sense of accomplishment in the world. Now, don't misunderstand me before we move on. I'm not suggesting that everything you ever say is going to be positive. You know, there's people out there nowadays that say, well, you just have to say positive things all the time. Well, I'm sorry. Electricity only flows when there's a positive and a negative. <laughs> Sometimes there are negative things that have to be said, but even they can be said in life-giving kinds of ways. I came home one day when Community Church in Chesapeake was about seven years old. And I'll be honest with you, I had been consumed with planting this church. I was working 80 to 100 hours a week, and I was just completely consumed with it. God did amazing things, and, uh, and we grew to 1,000 in the first seven years, and 90% and of them were conversion, people coming to Christ, and, and they were just exciting, dynamic kind of years. And I neglected my family. I neglected my marriage. I did, and, and I regret it. I, and uh, and have had to work on that one, but I did. When Kim would say something to me, I would say something spiritual like, well, I'm serving the Lord, woman. You need to pray about that one. Isn't that spiritual? Until one day she came, I came home, and she said, we need to talk. And I don't even remember what her words were, but she let me know what was going on. And I knew in that moment, quickened by the Holy Spirit, I was about to make a choice that would define the rest of my life. And thank you, Jesus, I caught myself before I came up with another rationalization or another defense. And I said, Kim, you are the most important human relationship I have. I will walk away from this church if that's what you need. Say the word. And she said, I don't want you to walk away from the church. I love the church too. I love the dream that God has given us. I just need you to remember that you're married. I need you to remember that you have sons at home growing up. I need you to honor your commitments on this side 
And I changed. I changed. I went to the congregation the next Sunday morning and said, guys, I love you. It's the honor of my life is to be your pastor, but I need to make clear something. When I'm 80 years old and I'm sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair, I hope Kim is sitting beside me, and I frankly don't care whether you're there or not. (laughs) So I'm going to prioritize my marriage the way I should have been doing all this time. And you know what? God honored it. Church didn't slow down. It sped up growing. Tim Keller tells it a different way. He planted Church of the Redeemer in Manhattan. He says he came home from uh, from a long day one day, and his wife was standing on the balcony of their upstairs bedroom, throwing their wedding china over the rail into a dumpster in the alley below. And he said, woman, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, you're breaking your marriage vows, so I thought I would break our marriage china. Got his attention. He later found out she was only throwing away the pieces that were chipped and cracked, but (laughs) she got the message across. So I'm saying, whether it's affirmation or accountability, speak life at an emotional level into your husband and your wife, and in the process, you will raise the value of your marriage. In the process, you will find the emotional intimacy that you speak, that you seek. And let me just say quickly, don't just do it in the way you speak to one another privately, do it in the way you speak about each other publicly. In fact, one of the things, one of the things that I love about this church is I love the way Pastor Farrell talks about Miss Millie from this stage. Is that worthy of honor? That's worthy of honor, guys. Because he understands something about his relationship with his bride and their desire for intimacy together. If you want to move through these stages from infatuation through irritation all the way to intimacy, you've got to accept each other and develop intellectual intimacy. You've got to affirm each other to develop emotional intimacy. Number three is critical, and that's spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy requires that we focus on Christ with one another. That old illustration maybe you've seen before where if you've got your focus on Christ and your spouse has his or her focus on Christ, the closer you get to Jesus, the more like Jesus you become, you can't help but get closer to each other. And so he has to be the focus. He has to be the center of your marital relationship because it is ultimately God who will give you the intimacy that you seek. Let's go back to the beginning. That's how it was set up. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused, who caused? The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and while he slept, he took, who took? God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, fashioned or formed, into a woman, and he brought her and presented her to the man. You got the image? Who did the action of creating the woman from the man? God did. Who did the presenting of the woman to the man? God did. Now get the scene. Adam's first job in the garden, anybody remember? Is to name the animals. And so all the animals are walking past him all day long, and he's going, ant, aardvark, <laughs> anteater. Keep the ant and the anteater apart, okay? Uh, <laughs> It's just, you know, a cat, dog, 
elephant. I mean, just all day long, he's coming up with names for these animals. He falls into an exhausted sleep at the end of the day, and during the night, God comes and creates this woman, and he wakes up the next morning, and God brings her to him, right? And what does it say in verse 23? <coughs> then Adam said, now, now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, knowing the scene, how many of you believe that's how he said it? No, 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 that's not how he said it. He's been naming gorillas and anteaters, right? And now suddenly God brings this amazing, beautiful, naked woman <laughs> in front of him, and he says, oh, she got bones like my bones. <laughs> she ain't a gorilla. She ain't one of them things. She's one of me. She got flesh like my flesh, kind of sort of a different in a good way. She's, you know. And so she shall be called, whoa, man. <laughs> God is good. Right? Now, pick up verse 24. Who did that? Who created her? Who brought her? Now look what else God did. Verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. Who joined them? Who made them one flesh? The same God who made her and presented her made them one flesh. That word joined in the original Hebrew is the word dabach. And dabach literally means to take two pieces of fabric and weave them together as though they are now one piece of fabric. None of the beauty of either tapestry is lost. There's just a whole new tapestry that's formed now. This beautiful thing has been formed that didn't exist before, and God is the one who formed it. And that's why the dissolution of a marriage is so painful, why either through death or divorce by whatever means. It, it, you didn't just break up. You got torn apart because God joined you. So the question becomes, well, you know, we're not Adam and Eve. We're not in the beautiful Garden of Eden. So how do we get to this spiritual intimacy? The answer is a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. What does 1 John 1, say, 1 7 say? But if, if, that means it's a choice, if we walk in the light as He, who's He? Anybody know? As Jesus is in the light, then what do we get? Fellowship with one another. If we choose to walk in the light with Jesus, honest, open, transparent relationship with Jesus, that leads to honest, open, transparent fellowship, true spiritual intimacy with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ makes up the difference between our failings and what our spouse needs from us. He purifies us from all our sin. That's the power of Jesus Christ at the center of your marriage. So you can work at intellectual intimacy by getting to know each other and welcome those differences. 
You can work on emotional intimacy by providing what your spouse needs on an emotional kind of level, but ultimately spiritual intimacy only comes when two people decide to walk in intimacy with Christ. The closer you are to Him, the closer you become to each other, and the more He is able then to do what God did from the very beginning, bring two people together and join them together as though they were one person in genuine, intimate fellowship with one another. There's nothing that blocks intimacy in a marriage more quickly or profoundly than hidden sin. Nothing blocks it more quickly than a lie told and covered up. Nothing blocks it more quickly than trust violated. But Jesus purifies from all sin. Bring it to Him, and He will bring whatever healing is needed. So how do we get there? How do we put Christ at the center of our marriage? You pray together. And you you don't have to be a a, a Bible scholar to pray together. You don't have to have Pastor Farrell's communication gifts to pray together. You just, when you find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do about, you just take each other's hands and say, oh God, we don't know what to do with this. There's an intimacy that forms when you talk to God together, connected to another, that you won't find anywhere else. You worship together. You come together and engage God in a place like this on a day like this and engage God and you sing those words to those songs and let them be not just cool words and cool chord progressions, but in fact they become the communication of your heart to the throne of God and you watch your spiritual intimacy form between you because you are worshiping together. Study the Word together. Get into a small group or a class and study the Scriptures together and then dialogue about what you saw and how that applies to you as a couple. Serve together. Find ministry things that you can do together and watch what happens as you get outside yourselves and serve somebody else in need in order that you'll come to more intimacy together. Jim, I hear what you're saying, but I'm married to someone who's not interested in doing all that, not willing to do that. What do I do? You do it without them. You pray. You worship. You serve. Oh, and quit nagging them to get saved because that don't work. You get close to God. You walk in the light with Jesus and let the light of Jesus Christ attract your spouse like moths are attracted to the flame. If you really want intimacy at the level that Jesus had in mind, it's going to require the left hand. And what does the left hand involve? Intellectual, emotional, spiritual intimacy. But when you do, we're back to where we started. What do you get? Physical intimacy. So how do you get physical intimacy? It requires playing together. It requires enjoying one another. And if you think that just means Uh, sex, then you need to think again. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I read the other day that the number one cause of marital affairs is marital boredom. So let me ask you, are you fun to live with? I got one yes, sir. (laughs) Way to go, man. 
I mean, do you ever do anything, anything spontaneous? Do you ever do anything that's just off the wall just for the fun of it? Doesn't have to be expensive, doesn't have to be time consuming. It's just something that breaks the routine, something that you both enjoy. Now, I'm gonna be honest, this one can be as difficult as the others. Kim and I searched for years for something that we both enjoy, and we, there were just very few things that we both enjoyed. Uh, I love the game of golf. Not very good at it, but I love doing it. Kim thinks that is the stupidest waste of time on the planet. So you go out there and chase a stupid little white ball for four hours and then put it in your pocket at the end of the time, and it costs you how much? What? What? It just doesn't compute for her. So I begged her to come play with me. She said, nah, I got more important things to do. Never has happened. Kim, on the other hand, likes to dig in dirt. She likes to garden. She likes to plant things and watch the vegetables grow. And I go, leave the dirt alone. I mean, if you need some carrots, Carly C's has got some on sale. I mean, come on. You're spending more to grow them than Carly C charges for them. Just quit. No, she loves dirt and stuff. And so we've just really struggled. You know, we finally, we finally figured out something that we enjoy, that we both enjoy, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's saved our marriage. Um, we enjoy, uh, can I say this in church? We enjoy food. <laughs> we just like food. Again, my work with the X2 Network puts us traveling quite a bit. And so everywhere we go, the first conversation we have was, is with one of the locals. And we say, where do the locals eat? And what's the delicacy that's, that's unique to this area? And we will eat anything. I would probably send you running out of the room if I told you some of the things that we have eaten over the years in third world countries and other places. So I will spare you from that. Gotten sick a few times. Yes, ma'am, I have. Uh, but we have found that we enjoy that discovery. We enjoy that adventure. We enjoy that process. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters that you both enjoy it and that you do it together. And there, yes, there is one that is biblical. It's no question it's scriptural. And that is Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, I don't know if you know what they're talking about with that word sporting or not. The Hebrew word is chaka, and they're not talking about football. <laughs> Get my drift? Hear me. The oldest sport mentioned in scriptures is a husband and wife enjoying each other in a sexual relationship. That's, and I, it's a great sport, too. <laughs> I mean, think about it for a minute. You, you can play it all year round, you can play it indoors or outdoors. You don't need any special equipment. And you don't have to be particularly athletic. Sound like a good sport to me? What am I saying? Oh, and in case you're wondering, just because there's snow on a mountaintop don't mean there ain't no fire in the fireplace. I'm just, I'm just, just make sure you got that. All I'm saying is, I got Kim's permission to say that. I promise I did. Uh, all I'm saying is that God intended that in the context of one man, one woman, marital relationship, that you enjoy each other. Keep your bedroom closed, but enjoy each other. Don't be embarrassed about it. What does the Scripture say? Go back to that Genesis 2 passage, verse 25. Verse 25, here it is. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed. 
If somewhere, somebody along the way told you that sex was dirty, they didn't understand God's plan. If somebody along the way told you that you should be ashamed or embarrassed in the context of a marital relationship, they did not know what they were talking about. The Scriptures are clear. Enjoy each other. i got to close. But let's go back to that Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 6 passage one more time. Remember that one? His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Hear me, husbands and wives. Pastor Scott and Sherry will be talking to you singles next week. Bring some singles to church next week. They need to hear what they're going to say, but singles hear this now. As you look forward to the potential of a marital relationship, when the left hand is secure and she is resting in that left hand of intellectual intimacy and emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy, baby, close the doors and turn the lights down because the right hand is coming. (laughs) And it is the most amazing experience you can ever imagine. That's sex God's way work on intimacy. But more than that, Pastor Farrell told us at the outset that the Song of Solomon is not just a depiction of a husband and wife, it's a depiction of Christ and His bride. So let me bring you out of the marital relationship and bring you into thinking about your relationship with God. Do you understand what God's left hand is? It's His grace that supports you. It's His faithfulness that you can depend on. It's His loving kindness that when you mess up and own up, He forgives again and again and again. And you can trust His left hand. He will not remove it. It's there. It's trustworthy. But hear me, you can't have the right hand of God those moments when the chills run up and down your back or the miracles that you've been praying for take place. You can't have the right hand of God unless you're trusting and depending on the left hand because it is in trusting His left hand that you're in position to receive His right hand. So i got to ask you before I let you go, are you trusting God's left hand? You understand that human love runs dry? That we need a source that is bigger than ourselves in order to give our spouse what he or she needs? His name is Jesus. And that ultimately the only way we're going to find the intimacy we seek in our marriages is if we seek that same intimacy with Jesus. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? Bow your heads. Simple prayer, I hope powerful and meaningful. Say it in your own words, or just repeat these, but let them come from your heart. Jesus, I trust you a little. I want to trust you more. I depend on your strength sometimes, then I try to figure it out by myself. Forgive me. I want intimacy with you, Lord. I wanna, I wanna know you, I wanna trust you, I wanna feel your presence, and I want your supernatural power operating in my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in individual hearts and couples across this room. Those who are watching online, you know exactly what's going on. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us all right now in the quietness of this moment and let us know that that intimate relationship with you is available. Thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.